in today's episode of Rob Conrad Conversations. Jessica Cox. And flying has been a wonderful physical challenge for me. The examiner said, if you can show me how you can safely fly an airplane with your feet and do everything I ask of you, Mm -hmm. then I see no reason why you should not be a certified pilot. I passed the test and he gave me the certificate. She's the world's first pilot born without arms. The moment that I see something that may look difficult to other people, I immediately look, look at how it's possible and how it is that it could be broken down. There were definitely moments where I felt like this just really sucks that I have to be so different Mm -hmm. and that people have to stare at me and alienate me or isolate me. I do remember in that moment saying a prayer and saying, you know, God, can you just make me normal Mm -hmm. for a little bit so that I don't have to deal with all all that comes with being so different and encourages millions to never give up. A gentleman, a a guy walked up to me and he had tears in his eyes and he said, you have no idea what seeing you today has done for me because you have this wonderful blessing, this wonderful opportunity to help other people around you. And so I realized it was a gift and I was able to, in time, embrace my difference as a gift that could be helped used to help other people and help the world and not only that but to really give me a phenomenal life join the conversation now welcome to rob conrad conversations conversations with extraordinary people that motivate and inspire learn grow and impact lives subscribe now and hit the bell icon for a new conversation every week Hey, welcome. This is Rob Conrad from Switzerland, and I'm really happy to talk to a very exciting person today. She's a published author. She's a black belt in Taekwondo. She's a Guinness Book World Record holder, a certified scuba diver, a licensed pilot. And oh, before I forget about it, she was born without arms and is doing all of that without having arms. Thank you so much for your time and welcome, Jessica Cox. Thank you for having me. Hey, so it's really amazing. When I first heard about you, I was really baffled by all the things you do. I mean, it's it would be a challenge for most people to do these kind of things um, with arms, and you are doing all of that without arms. So, so um, when did you decide? Hey, I'll just give it a try, and I'll just do that. Well, I'm going to have to go back to my childhood because I was born without both my arms and. It's just part of my nature to be the type of person that is willing to try anything. And my mom was just like that. That's who I am. And no one else in my family was born without both of their arms. So for me, it was just an additional challenge. And it just requ- it required more creativity mm-hmm. to try new things. Okay. I was uh, one thing I was really surprised about in your book, you write that, for example, taking the uh, pilot license or flying uh, in general was more of an emotional um, problem or more a challenge than, than uh, of a physical challenge. I was, I would have expected that the physical part is, is the biggest part of it, but you said it was more of the, on the emotional side to do it. Yes. Most people don't realize that even more than the physical challenges of living without arms, just like anyone else, we have fears. Mm-hmm. And um, my fear, my greatest fear was losing contact with the ground. 
Mm-hmm. So I had to overcome that fear in order to become a pilot. Yeah. And that's why I say it was the emotional fear of of flying that actually was more challenging than the physical task of flying the airplane with my feet. And going uh, but because of who I am, if I'm afraid of something I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I always say you shouldn't let fear stand in the way of any opportunity. Yeah. And I wanted to live out that example by becoming a pilot. Wow, that's amazing. So have you always been like this or has there been a time in your life when you were not that confident and uh, w- ready to face um, challenges and fears? My nature has always been fearless and a risk taker, but I have not always been the confident person that I am today. Confidence was a journey mm-hmm. and it was a journey of self-acceptance. It was a journey of building my confidence in order to be able to be comfortable Mm -hmm. in my difference and, and most importantly, how to deal with the reactions from the outside world to my difference. Yeah. 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 Uh, What are those reactions? What are, what are reactions that people have when they um, see you the first time and then when they maybe don't know what you're doing and then when they hear about what you, what, uh, what you are doing? Well, honestly, most people, don't even think it's possible to live a fully independent life just the day to day without both the, both arms because they could not imagine themselves not having their arms because they rely solely on their arms and hands to do day to day tasks. But because I have known this my whole life, my, my form of normal is using my feet mm-hmm. and my legs as my hands and arms. And the reality is they are just as good at accomplishing everything and maybe even good at even better at some things, uh, using my feet as my hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I have to say, I was, I was so happy uh, in your book about one thing. There was one question I had and I, I w- would never have asked that it was, how do you wipe? And that you actually answered <laughs> that in your book. <laughs> and I'll, I'll add that to the book. So there are, everyone who's watching this should read the book. It's a, it's a great book. It's really um, very inspirational, I have to say. And I'll, I wouldn't answer the question, but you're really open about these things. And and um, that's what I find really amazing. But really, so there, there are no challenges in daily life. Um, you can you describe how you can you know, use a credit card and pay with a credit card. Uh, standing on one leg basically. And yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah. I I just talk about my everyday life. I don't even think about some things that I just do with my feet. Mm -hmm. There is nothing that I cannot do aside from I'm working on the challenge of tying my hair in a nice ponytail. Oh, I have a device to tie a loose ponytail, but I'm working on tying a nice, really um, a, a formal ponytail. Ah, okay. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So, um, in, in your, in your book, you write about how you used, um, um, uh, prosthetics for a while when you were younger. And then mm-hmm. when you, um, stopped using them, you actually felt better than with them. Yes. I had the option of prosthetics for 11 years mm-hmm. and It was something my mother wanted me to have the option of the choice of whether I wanted to use those prosthetics um, instead of using my feet mm-hmm. or use both. And um, because she didn't want me to spend my whole life wanting arms, mm-hmm. but I actually decided after 11 years of wearing prosthetics that this is not who I am and I'm better with my feet. 
So I decided to give them up on the first day of eighth grade. I was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. I walked to the bus stop for the first time without them. And when I walked on the bus and the bus door shut, I remembered hearing the quote, no one can make you feel inferior without your permission. Mm -hmm. And with that, I made the promise that I would never again wear them. And to this day, I have not put those prosthetic arms on. Okay. Okay. Um, Was it just a matter of um, the practicability of those prosthetics um, or was it really a um, the issue that you said you are good the way that you are and you can do everything you want the way you are and you don't need any help from any additional tools? Yes, I feel like society has pressure on everyone to conform mm-hmm. to being more, well, I guess what you could call normal, but there really isn't a normal And I believe that it was important to celebrate my difference. And it started with not trying to be like everyone else and giving up those prosthetics. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Coming back to your childhood. So uh, what role did your parents play, Um, you know, your upbringing and and how they they treated you as a child or in in, in what day did they treat you? Did they treat you like your brothers and sisters who um, I believe were born normally? And I say no, normally because uh-huh. obviously not normal is there is no normal normal. Um, uh-huh. But so um, how, how did your parents bring you up? I was fortunate and I was blessed with wonderful parents who believed that I could do anything. My mom said, you know, you can do anything. And my dad, he has said on a number of a number of occasions that he's never once shed a tear about my birth condition. He never saw me as a victim. And so I didn't have that option to see myself as a victim of a handicap. Yeah, yeah, I see. Oh, that's great. So what would you um, tell parents that might have a a child that has some sort of disability or um, a challenge or disadvantage? Um, How should they raise their children? For any parent who is watching this, who has a special needs child, a child who's different, I just encourage them to give their child every opportunity in the world Mm -hmm. and to have the faith that they can do it, Mm -hmm. that they need, sometimes they need prodding. Sometimes they need to be given tough love, Mm -hmm. which tough love is allowing their children to struggle at times Mm -hmm. and giving them the space they need to figure it out. And sometimes that's what it takes. It takes, it's, it's tough. I'm sure at times to watch your child struggle, but in that struggling process, it's such a learning experience Mm -hmm. for the child to be able to figure it out. Okay. So you, um, in a way you have to bring up your child, um, not to be pampered and to, to shield them from, from any challenges they might have, but Mm -hmm. rather encourage them to, to embrace those challenges and really live through it so that they can grow and be strong out of themselves. Yes. It's just important to continue to encourage your children to take on opportunities, not be afraid to take on new things, even if it makes them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that's a great way to raise your children. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So, um, you're a motivational speaker and mm-hmm. you travel to the globe, um, giving speeches. You, uh, you know, spoke in front of many large organizations. Um, you've been to Switzerland to the both the world economic forum um, uh, gave a speech there. So how did you get started? And, um, was it always a dream of yours to, to do speeches? 
I started speaking when I was a sophomore in high school. So I was 16 or 17 years old in high school. And I got, I had the opportunity to speak to a group of young people Mm -hmm. who were three or four years younger than me. And these children were supposedly more challenged than others because they were disadvantaged with regards to the support system they had in place. And I was there to motivate them and encourage them, inspire them. And after that first uh, taste of what it was like to have an impact on someone's life, I decided that I should continue that. Mm-hmm. And I, and then it wasn't until college that I entertained the idea of pursuing it as a career. I was a pre-med student and I decided that medicine wasn't for me. I studied psychology instead after two years of medicine. And after figuring out that I love psychology, I figured it would be a wonderful way to connect psychology with a career in speaking. Mm-hmm. And communicating. So I did a minor in communications. Okay. And after graduating, pursued the career of speaking full time. Okay. And and how did you get started? I mean, we had the uh, prep prep call, and you mentioned that you um, no. How do you start? A, a, there's there's no college for professional speakers. So how do you get started? And you said that you reached out to people first, or can you explain a little bit about that? Yes, people asked me how I started my career and. It was in part due to the fact that I was so driven to pursue this career that I actually sought out mentors, people in the profession of speaking who were um, excelled at what they did and who had um, great websites, who had a great message. And one of them was John Foppy, who was a protege to Zig Ziglar. Ah. And I said, yeah, I thought I'd reach out to him to see if he could give me some advice of what I could start in order to launch this career. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how, how do you get, uh, did you get through to those people? So I guess it's not easy to, uh, to reach people when they're uh, not that famous or if they're traveling yeah. a lot. So, so how did you get, make your way through them? Through if them? you don't give up, you can definitely find the people that you want to either ask questions or ask them to help you. And if that doesn't work for some reason, you, there are so many people out there mm-hmm. that are professionals in whatever it is you try to pursue. And I knew that if I wasn't able to get a hold of John, that I could get a hold of someone else. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't just relying on John because I also had other mentors in the profession. Another gentleman by the name of W. Mitchell, mm-hmm. who really took me under his wing and he gave me the time and the advice I needed to launch the career as well as seeking out professional organizations like the Toastmasters group, as well as the National Speakers Association, which helped prepare me by teaching me the tricks to the, to the career of speaking. Oh, okay. Okay. That's great. So how much time do you spend on the roads, um, traveling for your, um, gigs and I spend six months out of the year, I would say on average, traveling and living in different places and, and speaking. I just returned from a two week tour, um, in Minnesota, California and Arkansas. And then in a couple of weeks, I'll be headed to Sydney, Australia. Oh, that's great. Wow. Yes. And how long are you going to be in Sydney? That will be probably two days. Two so days. It's, okay. wow. it's such a short trip when you're speaking, you're, you're there the day before you speak the next day and then you leave the next day. <laughs> so it's a very short, short trip. 
Okay, okay. And um, you travel with your husband, as I read. That's one yes. great thing. So how did you meet? How did that um, came to happen? Patrick and I met. Patrick is my husband. And we met by practicing Taekwondo together. I walked into a Taekwondo school where I was trying to get some extra training. At the time, I was already a first degree black belt in Taekwondo. Mm -hmm. And I pursued finding another school in order to get better training because I was invited to do a demonstration at the world championships. Mm -hmm. So when I was given that invitation, I said, well, I need to um, definitely um, get some practice in, get some private lessons in. And so I went out and found a school and there Patrick was co-teaching with a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And he had no idea who I was. I didn't know who he was. Mm -hmm. Our only connection was the friend who was co-teaching with Patrick. Mm -hmm. And it was um, a wonderful connection. Outside of the school, we hung out with friends. And that's when we got to know each other better. And now that's been six years of marriage. And it's oh, been great. Great. Fantastic. That's nice to hear. So um, what are kind of misconceptions people um, have about you when they hear about you and um, what are typical things that you encounter? Misperceptions mi mi about... Mi mi misconceptions. So misconceptions, okay. I, I know that people really, for one, as I mentioned before, they don't really understand how possible it is to live a life without arms. Mm -hmm. And um, I live a, nor a normal, independent life. Uh, one of the other things that people don't believe maybe is the fact that I'm a pilot uh, they, they don't understand. They must, some people think, well, maybe she had an airplane built specially for her yeah. or modified. And the reality is I have not had an airplane modified or specially built for me. It is a standard air coupe airplane. And I learned how to adapt to this airplane instead of making changes to the structure of the airplane in order for me to fly it with my feet. Yeah, you wrote about that um, a good deal in your book about being innovative and how you need to find different solutions from, you know, tying your shoes to strapping on the seatbelt in the airplane, which is usually something you couldn't do with just your feet, but you still managed to find some ways uh, around that, right? Yes, innovation, creativity, ingenuity, it is so critical when faced with some kind of challenge to be able to break the challenge apart and to address it with creativity. And I shared the story when I speak, actually, I share the story about how I had to learn how to tie my shoes mm -hmm. from the outside instead of with my feet inside the shoe. Mm -hmm. And so I came up with saying, think outside the shoe because that's exactly how I tied my shoes. But more importantly, that's how I address other challenges in life. I use creativity to come up with a solution. I'm innovative. And if I have to, I have to create some new way of doing something. Okay. So if you see them, uh, something and it seems impossible at first, you don't think it's impossible. It's just, you, you just think what's a different way of doing that or of, of approaching the problem. Yes. The moment that I see something that may look difficult to other people, I immediately look, look at how it's possible and how it is that it could be broken down. And that's something that anyone can do because oftentimes we get intimidated by something that seems like a, a daunting big task. But if we can break it down in little steps and 
believe from the onset, from the start, that it's possible, Mm -hmm. then that helps us move forward with positivity without self-doubt and to keep going. And I have um, a um, saying now to achieve the impossible with possible thinking. To achieve the impossible with possible thinking. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. In your speaking, um, I guess you address a lot of topics like motivation or overcoming challenges um, that you have. So um, can you talk a little bit about uh, what are the things you're talking about? Um, what are the things that you experience, the, the challenges that other people have and what do you tell them? How, how can they overcome their challenges? Um, I'm sorry, can you ask that one more time? Yeah, so um, you... In your motivational um, speeches, you mm-hmm. um, talk a lot about overcoming challenges and you know, finding innovative solutions. And um, what are struggles that people have and what do you teach them how to overcome these struggles? Some of the challenges that people are faced with, um, and I mean, I've, I've heard all sorts of challenges. Sometimes people are not willing to persist. And one of the things I talk about is the importance of being persistent of not giving up mm-hmm. and it is so critical to be able to not take no for an answer if someone says no you keep going you keep persisting and especially if someone says you can't do it you turn it into positive energy and you turn it into an opportunity to channel you into more power to mm-hmm. accomplishing the task um so sometimes people are limited by not wanting to persist. Some people are limited by their own fears. Sometimes people are limited because they just don't have the will because they don't want it enough. And so it's important to be able to find the things you want because desire is critical. And so I talk about all these different challenges that people have on a regular basis. Okay. And what would you tell to someone who is um, really at the bottom in a way emotionally and um it feels like you know it's everything's completely overburdening and there's no way to get started what would you tell those people how can they get how can they make that first step and get out of the um the situation they are in for someone who is struggling and is having a difficult moment i think they have to understand that this moment will pass mm-hmm. like anything And um, knowing that they can get through it by taking one little step, one minor change. It doesn't have to be tremendous, Mm -hmm. but it's just one little step and understand that they'll be able to get through it. And whatever goal that is, it helps you to focus and having that vision of what it is you want to do will help you get through the difficult time. Okay, so have the vision in mind and then break down the daunting tasks into small little tasks that can be tackled more easily. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, you've met a lot of great people. I saw on your website, you've met uh, the Pope. Um, you've met Buzz Aldrin. You've met, uh, many, uh, what's his last name? I can always, I can I always misspell it. Many Paquit, Paquito? Oh, Pacquiao, Pacquiao. Pacquiao, Pacquiao. Right. I always mispronounced that. Um, so what was the most remarkable person or who was the most remarkable person that you've met and why? I have met some incredible people and I've been blessed to have opportunities. And I have to say it was an altogether incredible, unbelievable experience meeting um, Pope 
the Pope, mm-hmm. because um, not only meeting him, but the reactions from people around as I was walking up to meet him. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, the Pope does a papal blessing in the middle of a St. Peter's Square mm-hmm. in at the Vatican. Mm-hmm. And there are many barricades that keep you from the stage where the Pope is. Uh-huh. And uh, on the other side of the barricades are thousands of people who have are on a pilgrimage from all parts of the world to be able to, to get the Pope's blessing. And the time that I was there with my family, I was given the opportunity to walk on stage to meet with, with the Pope and walking on the other side around the barricades and being escorted by the security was just this incredible feeling seeing all those thousands of people and hearing them chanting, you know, Viva el Papa and, and, um, all these people emotionally crying and cheering and, and just even that kind of gave me goosebumps okay. to experience that I'm here on the other side of the barricades experiencing this wonderful opportunity to meet with the Pope. And then of course, meeting him was incredible as well. And, and how did that happen? How did you make that happen? <laughs> I know it sounds unbelievable to be able to meet the Pope because usually it takes six months notice in order to set up an appointment with um, um, an audience with the Pope. Mm-hmm. But um, actually we were in the front row where all the pilgrims were um, lined up for the papal blessing. And we were in the front because my mother was in a wheelchair. And at the time I had to be in a wheelchair because I sprained my ankle. Oh. So we were both there in the front <laughs> row in the uh, handicap section. And at the time I also had my Guinness world record medal with me. And my brother mentioned, well, why don't you um, offer this medal to the Pope? And I thought, wow, what a wonderful way to express my gratitude for all the blessings I've had. Uh I would love to give this uh, to the Pope. And I did. And that's the reason that the security allowed us to go to the stage so that I could present him with the Guinness World Record medal for being the first uh, female pilot to fly an airplane with her feet. Okay. Okay. So, so you talk to security and then they basically channeled you through in a way. There was something that else there. There must have been some other intervention, spiritual intervention for that to happen. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I believe that. It's amazing. Yeah. How, how much time did you have with him? Did you exchange a few sentences? Uh, there was a couple sentences that we exchanged. We were the last of the whole group to go up. So we were the ones who probably had the most time because there was a whole line of some of the dignitaries who were there to meet with him. And those, those had already been prearranged, all those appointments and that audience. But we were added at the very end of that. Uh-huh. And um, it was pretty incredible because I didn't even feel like I was properly dressed to the level that many of the dignitaries uh, were on that stage uh-huh. because we had no idea that that was going to happen. Yeah. It was incredible. How, how do you dress up for the Pope? <laughs> what, what, I know. What's the official dress code? I wouldn't even know that. <laughs> uh, I think you're supposed to be dressed, dressed in black, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. That is... Um, and uh, I, I mean, I had a black sweater and black pants on, but I wasn't fully dressed in black. Okay. Yes. But, okay. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, the other people like uh, Buzz uh, Aldrin um, was the second person on the moon. You yes, him, Buzz yeah. Aldrin. He Buzz Aldrin was um, a friend of a friend. Oh, okay. And I, as a pilot, you get to know some of the top pilots 
at least in the country. Mm-hmm. And then somehow they're connected to other phenomenal pilots and it gets around. And so we had a good friend who was connected with Buzz Aldrin. And one day um, just uh, mentioned how it would be great to, to meet him. And she gave us the opportunity, which was phenomenal. That's great. Yeah. And he's he also someone I would love person. to talk to. He's also a great, great yes? person. What would you like to tell Buzz? Pardon me? What would you tell Buzz if you if you had the chance? Well, I, I, w- I wouldn't tell him anything because I don't believe I'm in a position to tell him anything, but I would love to uh-huh. ask him a lot of questions about, mm-hmm. about um, you know, what he, you know, how he came to be, who he is and, and what's the emotional part of the preparation of you know, going to the moon was and, and how he experienced that. So I would love to, I would have, you know, could yeah. ask him questions all week long, probably. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Felt the same way. Definitely, yes. So, I mean, you, you've you've already done an incredible amount of things. You're, you know, a scuba diver certified. You've um, um, jumped out of airplanes. Uh, you're you're flying airplanes. Um, what are the things that you still would love to do? What's still on your bucket list if you have one? Do you have a bucket list? I I do have an a bucket list of mm-hmm. things that I want to do. And uh, I've been practicing something called slack lining, which is like tight rope walking. Oh, yeah, and yeah, you're yeah. on a slack line. So I, I'd like to do that. Um, there, I'd like to do some more scuba diving, maybe near the uh, barrier reef one day. Um, I love to do a flight across the world. Mm-hmm. That'd be wonderful to be able to do that and, and be able to share the message along the way. That takes a lot of logistical planning. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's just, I mean, one day I'd like to possibly be a mother if I'm blessed to be a mom. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a gift. And there are just so many things that I'd like to, I'd love to do. And I just, I don't say no to any opportunity that crosses my path. Oh yeah, definitely. You and the race car to, driving too. To someone like Richard Branson, who he's he's experienced in doing these kind of crazy things, so maybe that would be a way to to do the world flight. I guess he and his team might have a great, uh, no, logistical opportunity for you. Yes, I didn't think of reaching out to him. I should. Yeah, I'm sure he could be even sponsor or something because he's he's into. Uh, no, extraordinary people and doing these kind of things. So yeah, that should be something you should try. I will. Yeah, definitely. Um, what is, um, you know, wh- what would you say, what are you most thankful for in your life? Wow, that's a wonderful question because I think how much gratitude I have for so many things. That if I were to list uh, list them all off, we would be here for days and days. So um, the most uh, the things that I'm most grateful for are definitely I have gratitude for uh, the wonderful family that has given me my foundation. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for my husband who is there with me throughout all these different challenges, and now as a team, we're even more powerful because. We can do so much more. Um, he also manages my career as a speaker. So he helps me to pursue even more speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. So far, I've had the opportunity to speak in 23 countries. Mm-hmm. And that's been phenomenal. And I have a, a foundation of faith that 
really grounds me and helps me, especially during those days that aren't perfect Mm -hmm. because everyone has a bad day. Mm -hmm. But if we had all good days, how would we know what the, you know, if we had all good days, how would we know what a good day is? So we have to sometimes have days that aren't always perfect. And so my faith is a phenomenal foundation for that. Mm-hmm. And it helps me get through the difficult moments or the different challenges that may be hard to understand in the moment. Yeah. Um, well, uh, did you ever feel like you've reached a low point in your life where you were really, you know, even though you're a very positive person and you like challenges, have you ever reached a point where you said, ah, this is this, this sucks. Life, life just sucks. Did you ever have that in your teens maybe, or when you were growing up as a kid? Yes, there were definitely moments throughout my teenage years where I felt like this just really sucks that I have to be so different mm-hmm. and that people have to stare at me and alienate me or isolate me or at least my the, the normal feelings as a teenager were magnified mm-hmm. as someone who is visually different and yeah. gets stared at and gets you know um, asked questions or not treated like everyone else. So having that type of treatment on top of the the insecurities of adolescence, mm-hmm. it magnifies things. And so there was definitely a time when I do remember feeling like I just cannot take one more stare when I go out to a public place. Yeah. And that was even at one of my trips to a, a grocery store. I remember feeling having a hard day to begin with and then feeling like I was being singled out because of my difference yeah. and just wanting to escape being someone who just um, almost asked for so much attention because of my difference and asked for um, generated so much attention and generated so many questions. Okay. And, and how did you overcome that moment? I do remember in that moment saying a prayer and saying, you know, God, can you just make me normal mm-hmm. for a little bit so that I don't have to deal with all of all that comes with being so different mm-hmm. than everyone else. And it was probably in that moment that I was able to have enough encouragement to get out of that tough spot and uh, continue on that day. And then I realized the following week, I showed up at the same store and it turns out I was fueling my car with gasoline because at the time I was driving and mm-hmm. Um, I fueled up the car by myself, which I do by using the nozzle with my foot. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, uh, a gentleman, a, a guy walked up to me and he had tears in his eyes and he said, you have no idea what seeing you today has done for me mm-hmm. and what did for him. And not only him, but his daughter was in the car and they had been through a traumatic accident mm-hmm. where she lost a couple fingers. Mm-hmm. And she was having a tough time dealing with her own difference because of that traumatic incident. Mm -hmm. And then seeing how I dealt with my difference and I'm just moving forward with life, doing things like fueling my own car and, and, um, doing it in a different way, gave them encouragement. Mm -hmm. I realized that that was God's way of telling me that, you know what, this is why you are not like everyone else, because you have this wonderful blessing, this wonderful opportunity to help other people around you. Even when you're doing something, you don't even think it would affect people. It's really a blessing that living your day-to-day life can even give people inspiration or encouragement to move on. 
And so I realized it was a gift and I was able to, in time, embrace my difference as a gift that could be used to help other people and help the world. And not only that, but to really give me a phenomenal life, which it has. It's brought me to so many places and is really a tool Mm -hmm. to help me excel in ways that I couldn't if I was given arms, if I was born with my arms and hands. Okay. So if you had the choice to be to have arms, like step a finger in your arm, would you accept that? Or would you say it's such an, you mentioned it's, it's a blessing for you in a way. Would you change that ever? If I was given the choice to have arms, I wouldn't want them yeah. because this is my life now. And it's so phenomenal and tremendous and there's never a dull moment. And so <laughs> if I had arms, I I know that it wouldn't be to the level that I've been able to live my life now. Mm-hmm. I do not want the arms if I was given the option. So, so your disadvantage made you who you, who you are and who you uh, make you the strong person that you are. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that encounter with a gentleman, was it the first experience in your life when you realized that you have the power to do something meaningful, meaningful and to, to touch people's lives? I actually think there have been other encounters that I've had in my life where people have really gained inspiration. But I think for me, uh, the acknowledgement and the recognizing how important it is, it's, it's really something that probably doesn't dawn on me right away. And so like, for example, I was giving a speech just a couple days ago and I was pretty tired by the end of the day and thinking, you know, I'm really exhausted Mm -hmm. emotionally and uh, physically drained. And, you know, you really, you know, wonder what you're doing is, is hope is really helping people. And I received an email from a woman who was battling, who had battled cancer Mm -hmm. and she was at the event and she really got some wonderful inspiration and encouragement from being there. And I sent her an email letting her know, you know, this is why, We do what we do because we have those type of uh, responses from people. And I thanked her for reminding me why it is that we're doing what we're doing. Um, Because sometimes when you're speaking to thousands and thousands of people, you don't always realize on the personal one-on-one level how it affects people. Mm -hmm. And then getting feedback like that reminds you that this is important. This needs to be done. And this is helping shape the world. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Um, you mentioned before that when you had this low moment, that people would be staring at you and you, you didn't feel comfortable with that. Um, so how would you like people to approach you when they see you? Because as you mentioned, obviously there is, there is a difference that you can see, um, and people react to that in a way. So how would you like to be reacted to, or how would you like people to approach you? Well, as I mentioned, when I wasn't comfortable with stairs, that was as a young child and growing up throughout teens, throughout, throughout adolescence. But now as a fully grown adult, I can actually appreciate the stairs because I use those as opportunities. And so if people do see me and they don't know how to react, don't, you know, are awkward or unsure. I always say, if there's some question that you have on your mind, don't be afraid to ask the question mm-hmm. because I'm happy to answer it. And we're all here to learn from each other. So I say, if you want to ask a question, feel free to come up to me to approach me, to at least smile. 
mm-hmm. to make eye contact and, and, and not see through me. Like sometimes people who are uncomfortable with the situation, they may see someone who is different. They may see someone who is either disabled or uh, different in some form of way. And sometimes they want to act like they never even saw them mm-hmm. because they feel like that's the appropriate thing to do. So but in reality, that's the worst thing. Yeah, they avoid confrontation. You're right. And um, I always say that's the wrong thing to do because we have to confront differences and embrace them. Absolutely. Um, And it's important to acknowledge the person, to smile and treat them like a human being, treat them like that they would want to be treated. Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, In a way, it's... from one perspective, it's understandable because if you don't know how to react to something, it's, I think it's a natural reaction, reaction to ignore the situation. So if you don't know how, what I do now, then I just better ignore it so that nothing can happen. But, Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's why important to, to tell people, Hey, if you see me or if you see someone who has some sort of disadvantage, um, don't look away, approach people and, and be open and ask. And, and I've heard that from other people with challenges as well, as well, that they said, Hey, the best way to do it is just walk up to me and ask me in a, in a, in a nice way or in an, in an, of course you can, there's always, always two different ways to say things, but if you do it in a nice and open and honest way, then I'll never be angry about someone asking me, Hey, why are you like this? Mm-hmm. I think that's wonderful about children. Children have, they don't have a filter. So they, they just speak out their minds and they will be much more open to, to approach people and, and speak their mind. And that's, that's, I think, really wonderful. It is so wonderful. And we all have that inner child in us. We just have, just over the years, we've developed a shell of filter, of filtering out that creative child that we have. But it's important to uh, definitely confront our discomforts or our curiosities and um, really embrace them. Absolutely. I, I actually, it's, it's, um, it's funny that you mentioned this, um, a few weeks ago, actually, I was, I was you now cleaning up my, my office and going through some age old folders that I had you now from the day they took from my garage because I cleared out the one garage that I had. And, and there was like a 20 year old folder where, where I had just random stuff like articles and, and stuff I found interesting. And I found one, one quote that I printed out, I think, probably more than 20 years ago. So, and I don't even know where it's from and I, I, I've not been able to locate the source of it, but the quote said that, um, and it's a translation from German. So, um, when we are born, um, no, we are born with a little voice in our chest and that, that voice tells us what to do and what not to do. And the older we grow, um, the more we try to suppress that voice and we try to kind of push it into the, the deepest corner into of ourselves and try to make it uh, uh, go quiet. Um, but it's really time that we, that we listen to that voice because that voice um, tells us what to do and what's right and what's not right. And that's, that's exactly what you've been just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Love that. Yeah. And I have, I have no idea who, where this quote is from. <laughs> I've not been able to, to, to find it, but maybe one day I will, or someone who's listening will find out where, where it's from. Um, what's your favorite place you've traveled a lot and you've seen you said 23 countries so um what's your favorite place in the world oh i have so many favorites Uh, that's hard to say where my favorite place is because 
I can list off so many. I know that at one point in time, there one of my favorite places was Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And um, now I just went to um, Paris just a couple weeks ago, and that was a wonderful trip. Um, I love Switzerland uh, because it's just gorgeous. Yes, I love Switzerland because the mountains are just stunning. And I grew up around mountains. Mm-hmm. So I love to see the snow-capped mountains. We don't have the snow here in Arizona as much, <laughs> but we have beautiful mountains. And in fact, that's why I'm moving to a specific area of town that is close to the mountains. So I love them. And that's what I love about Switzerland. Everything's so fresh and clean and um, beautiful. Absolutely. So next time you're in Switzerland, then uh, please let me know and I'll be happy to show you around. There's some great places. I actually live very close to the mountains as well. So I sent you some pictures. It's really five minutes from where we live. We have a little hike, like 50, 45 minutes. And then there's a little lake right in the mountains, which is beautiful. And so it's, it's absolutely stunning. Wow. I'm jealous. It's absolutely <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. Next time you come to Switzerland, let me know and then I'll be happy to be your host. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Definitely. So you talked about, you know, Switzerland being clean and, and everything. So, um, looking at the world and looking what's happening in the world, there are many challenges in the world as well. Um, is, are there things that worry you about the state of the planet, about the state of society? I, the only thing that concerns me is, is the suppression of, the diversity. And I think it's important that we just continue to be open-minded to people's differences and to be accepting and welcoming. And it's just something that I think that we are continuing to do. We're starting to definitely become more tolerant and uh, of differences, which is why it's wonderful. But one of my passions is to continue through my nonprofit, which aside from my business, I also run a nonprofit, which is like a foundation Mm -hmm. that helps reach children who are different and encourage them to be confident. Um, And so through that, I I think I'm going to continue to help those children who still may be struggling with their own difference. And I just hope that uh, the world can can continue to grow and to be accepting and tolerant of differences. Okay, that's that's great. So how can how can people find it nonprofits and how can they support it? The foundation is called uh, Right Footed Foundation International, Mm -hmm. and it's um, we are about ready to launch the website here very soon. But if you just look at my website, keep an eye out on that, and you'll see it will be it will be out very. In the next couple months, we'll be able to see what the nonprofit has been doing, the foundation has been doing, mm-hmm. and what we continue to do as in, in our mission and our vision. Okay, okay. And then, how can people support it actively? Is there any way to donate, or or um, what can you do to? Uh, we have um, we are a five hundred one c three foundation. So, if you are interested in supporting it. Mm-hmm. Please check in at the website again, and you'll be able to see how you can donate and contribute to helping um, with this nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So um, feel free in the next month to check jessicacox.com, and, and we should be live with the website. And there you can click on the links to the foundation page. Okay, great. So people should definitely check that out. Also, there's um, a great book that you've written. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that and what's um, 
what the book is all about? I wrote a book called Disarm Your Limits, The Flight Formula to Lift You to Success and Propel You to the Next Horizon. And in short, it's multiple principles that I have used in my own life. I talked a little bit about them, desire, persistence, mm -hmm. courage, acceptance, um, some of those different principles that have helped me in my life. And more importantly, it allows the reader to read them and reflect on their own life and how they can use those principles. So and who is that book for? The book is for anyone who wants encouragement and it's a self-help book. So it's also a biography. It's a combination of my story as well as self-help, meaning principles that people can use to excel in their own life. Okay. And it's, it's really, um, I love the book. It's, um, you share a lot about your personal stories as well. And one thing I found absolutely, um, um, I really had to laugh out loud when you, um, talked about how you were living with two other people and you want to get a TV and to try to get a TV from your parents. And yeah. your father said, um, well, you, you can have that one. And then you, uh, basically took the TV from your home and maybe you can talk about it a little bit. <laughs> I found it really amazing. And then, and, and, um, so wonderful. I, yeah, I, tell, uh, I tell the story about how I learned desire was important. Mm -hmm. And that was when I was moving out of my parents' house in college into a little apartment with my roommates and we didn't have a TV. So I asked if I could borrow a television from my parents. My mom said yes. And my dad said no. Mm -hmm. So I was going to figure out how I could get the TV out of my house without my dad knowing. Mm -hmm. And so when he walked out the front door to water the plants, it would give me some time to try and do this without anyone's help. I knew that I could do it. I just needed to figure out how. And I knew that I was going to have to use something to help me get it out of the house. So I used a computer chair that had wheels on it a chair with wheels, a rolling chair. And I rolled it up to the TV and I pushed the TV off onto the chair, but then the TV was bigger than the chair. So I had to stay holding the TV down <laughs> with my chin and pushing the wheels of this rolling chair with my feet and uh, pushed it all the way down a step, all the way down to the driveway where my car was parked. But I had to open the garage first in order to get to my car. Mm -hmm. And I pushed this TV all this way. And all I needed to do now was open the garage door. And so I reached my left foot and I, re I reached it up high and hit the garage door but button. And when the garage door opened, my dad was standing right there next to my car. <laughs> <laughs> Saw it's worth, it's worth mentioning it's not one of those little flat screens it was a big bulky uh tv yeah yes it was a big bulky tv at the and time, then what, yes. what did he say and he said if i would have known you wanted it that bad i could have helped you <laughs> basically <laughs> and i love the quote that uh um it's a quote by andrew pa uh, andy pausch he said um i'm sorry randy pausch mm -hmm. he said Walls are only there to stop the people that don't want it badly enough. That's a great quote. Yeah, I absolutely love that one. That, what, 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 was Randy the guy who, um, that, that professor who died from cancer? Yes. Oh yeah. The, that one, I think there are some YouTube videos of him doing like push-ups before he, like shortly before he died, where he gave away all this teddy bears and stuff. Was it that guy? That was him, Randy Pausch. Yeah. He, yeah. His, his, uh, YouTube video, I think it's called, um, 
last lecture. Oh yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. I've, I remember so seeing that a few years back, but that, that really is a great, that really is a great quote and actually sums it up perfectly well, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, if you could be president for a day, what would you change in your country? Wow, that's a great question. I have to think about that one. Because I would have a whole priority list of things to change. And uh, I guess something that seems a little bit more um, uh, as far as the timing of that question right now and what is all over the news is is definitely how we um, have been Wel- welcoming or not welcoming people to, who are come to the for this country for a better life, mm-hmm. and I think I would probably want to start with that, just because that's something that's right now pressing in the news, mm-hmm. and and how um, that is treated. So I would definitely go about making those changes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, by the way, you're, you're. I don't know if it's my end. The um, the screen got very dark. I don't know if you can. It see. did. Oh, yeah. okay. Maybe we'll get some light on. Let me tur- tell Alexa, turn on the living room light. How is that? Oh, that's so much better. Yes. So that's so much better. Definitely. Yeah. It was, for some reason in the beginning, it was fine, but then it, it just went stark. That's perfect. Oh, actually we can see much better. So okay, talking about Alexa, <laughs> that's, so do you, um, how did you write your book? Did you, you type it? Did you use um, like voice recognition software? I, well, first of all, I, uh, yes, I actually use a lot of voice recognition now, Mm -hmm. as I just uh, did right now. I turned on the living room lights with the uh, voice activation of Alexa Mm -hmm. and for text messaging, I use Siri on an an iPhone. Mm -hmm. And um, I definitely have used a lot of different technological advances, but for the most part, voice activation is probably the thing that's helping um, most at the moment. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely something I wrote the book by typing on a keyboard with the keys on the floor. And I use my toes on the keys. I can type it at about 35 words per minute. Wow. But now that I have voice activation, I can definitely use voice activation even faster than typing. Okay. So you're actively using tools. To, uh, um, we talked in the beginning about um, prosthetics and um, that you felt better without them. Technology is making really rapid progress in many different areas, also with um, um, no new prosthetics that are um, um, can do things that you couldn't do like ten or twenty years ago. Um, so, w- when there's a point when let's say the brain or brain computer connection becomes stronger, or we can um, use voice better to to use these things would you be open to use these kind of tools i think as technology changes and improves the lives of people with disabilities Mm -hmm. it's definitely going to be more freeing and it's going to definitely allow us to do more Mm um i am have benefited from some of the technology with naturally just voice activation um And even now we put a lock on the front door so that I, as long as my phone is near me, we can 
activate the locks and that's made my life easier. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with new technology, I would be open to exploring it. And, and mostly I think for people with disabilities, it's helping with the speed of accomplishing a task. Mm-hmm. And when it increases the speed for someone with a disability to do something, that's wonderful because it gives us more time to do other things. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I would be open to explore the advancements. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, do you feel there's enough being done for people with disabilities from the, I, the government or from also from the research perspective in the private sector? There definitely needs to be a lot more done for people with disabilities with regards to uh, work mm-hmm. and employment. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that, um, at least here in the United States, that I'm hoping to advocate for is to have inclusive practices for people with disabilities who are um, either want to work or are in the workplace already. And it's just important that we continue to encourage and um, allow for um, progress with disability employment because many people with disabilities are unemployed, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that needs to change. As far globally, uh, disability and education is something that I'm also advocating for. Um, there are still countries in the world where children with disabilities are not encouraged to go to school. Mm-hmm. So I'm still working when I do travel abroad to other countries to help bring awareness to the ability that people with disabilities can excel if they're given the opportunity, if they're given the support. And they have to start with education. Yeah, 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 that's true. You, you mentioned that, um, or you, you mentioned that you, um, your mother is from the Philippines. Yes. Yes, and you mentioned in your book that in the Philippines, um, people with disabilities are still very, you know, almost locked away, um, um, or were locked away, and the kind of families try to to avoid the the, the issue they had with, uh, you know, newborns that were born with disabilities. So, do you feel that has changed in other recent years, or? I I believe changes have been made towards people with disabilities. I think that there is always room for um, more progress. Mm-hmm. So that's why I continue to spread the message that people with disabilities can do anything. They just need to be supported and encouraged mm-hmm. and given equal opportunity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, wh- why do you think is it that uh, employers, for example, um, sometimes hold back on, on um employing people with disabilities is it is it you know, we, we talked about um you know looking away a few minutes ago that people are kind of are scared approaching people do you think that's one of the factors why also employers maybe hold back on on employing people that have challenges because they are not aware that they are they would be fully productive given the right support or what do you think that is yes i think employers are not only fearful of differences Mm-hmm. or um, um, disabilities, I think it's also because they see things in the same way that people may have seen me. They see that I don't have arms and they see that, well, maybe without arms, what can be done? Mm-hmm. And if people are open to how people can adapt to their differences and just with the help of just minor accommodations, mm-hmm. giving them what they need, they will be surprised how much value an employee with a different ability can provide for their company. And I mean, there's stories that are 
everywhere about people with disabilities providing not only loyalty to their company, but phenomenal talents and skills that other employee other employees may not have. Absolutely. Um, would you would you be in favor of fixed quotas for people with disability, or would you? say that might be a disadvantage because um, I know there's been some discussions um, also here in Europe, um, should there be fixed quotas? So if you have um, a company with a certain amount of, of uh, employees, you need to employ X percent of people with disabilities. And some people say it's not ideal because um, it doesn't encourage the best people to join. And it's, it's um, also from a, from the perspective of the people without disabilities, there might be, um, this this might bring up barriers because they might think hey he was just he or she was just employed because he or she has some sort of disabilities what do, what do you think about that i need to do more research about fixed quotas i am not as familiar as as you may be about that so i need to probably research before i can talk more about how that would apply and whether that would be the best route to take with people with disabilities um, it definitely starts with attitudes and breaking down the negativity that is associated with disability. And um, I'm working on that area in that realm of, of changing and shifting attitudes and being more inclusive. So I think um, it starts with attitudes, but there's a lot of things that can be, go in place to help this with the progress. And I do not know as much about fixed quotas, so I wouldn't be able to talk about that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think it's an interesting subject, um, because there are pros and cons to it and, um, I can understand both sides, but, but it would be interesting to, to, um, and also hear from you what you think about it. Definitely. Um, what I found really, um, interesting in your book was, um, you mentioned that, uh, you had this, um, you participated in this beauty pageant a few years back uh -huh. and, um, there was the, swimsuit part of, of, uh, the contest. And, um, you mentioned how, well, there are two things to it. Um, first of all, you, you mentioned how you were standing and standing like behind the curtain and really fighting with yourself, whether or not you should make, take, make a step and, and stand in the, uh, in the shining lights and in front of all those peoples, or if you should just, you know, basically run away from it. So how was mm -hmm. that? And, and what made you, what, what led you to the decision to make, make it step and just, just be proud of who you are? There are so many instances in my life where I could either choose to cower and run away or just, um, basically embrace my difference and be proud and confident about it. And that particular story in my book about the beauty pageant in the um, bathing suit um, part of the uh, of the beauty pageant and how it was it was definitely a, a moment like that. Mm. And I think for me, being confrontational with who I am is something I've had to learn to be. Mm. It's because this is who I am, and I don't really have the option to hide behind it. And even if I did, it would be the weaker option. Mm -hmm. So my situation and the fact that I'm visually different has somewhat forced me to be confrontational. Mm -hmm. But I think that has been a wonderful gift because it has almost like forced me 
to either be insecure or to be confident. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that not everyone's going to be comfortable with my difference, but I will not be able to change everyone about how they feel about people who are different. Mm -hmm. But what I can have the power to do is shift, change, and um, affect the way I think about it and the way that I feel about my confidence. Okay. And if I can be the most confident person that I can be, it doesn't matter how people react to me. And so I've learned that confidence is something I have to have to have and I have to be accepting of my difference and be confident and be out there mm-hmm. and understand that not everyone's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But that's not my problem. That's their problem. <laughs> my job is just to be the best me I can be. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And what what would you say to someone who is maybe in a situation that um, she or he is doesn't feel strong enough to to take that step and and to be confrontational in a way? So how would you? Uh, what would you say to people? How where can they find the strength to do so and to make the first step that that will lead you to? probably lead them to a lot of positive things because they will see me, Hey, it's not as bad as I thought, but how can they make that first step? I think to make that first step, it's to recognize that on the other side of that step is freedom, mm. empowerment, and just wonderful, positive energy. Mm. And it's so much easier to take that first step and live life going forward in that way than it is to continue to use your energy Mm -hmm. to try and hide away from it. It is so much energy to try to be someone you're not, but Mm -hmm. to finally accept it and to recognize it on the other side of acceptance and confidence is freedom Mm -hmm. and not only freedom, but it makes life so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay. Um, You've overcome a lot of fears um, that you had. Um, do you still have fears that you haven't tackled yet? Is there something you say, oh, I would not do that. That's, that's, no, 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 no way. That's, I'm afraid of that. I'm still thinking about that. I have to think about those different challenges. I will have to think about it. Mm-hmm. So there's not, no, no. And nothing I can think I of at the moment. You, 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 you did so many things. I don't even know what's left. <laughs> you're a diver, uh, scuba diver. You jumped out of airplanes. You're flying. So I don't know what. How many fears are there left? Cage, cage explorer, a cave exploring. Would that be something? Oh, like splun- splunking. Clo- clo- yeah. Claustrophobic situations. Would that be something that's that you might tackle yet? No, I I would like to. I'm still figuring out how I'm going to crawl if I did do cave exploring because you have to crawl a lot. So I have to figure out what kind of device I could use to get under in those caves. But no, I wouldn't stop away. I wouldn't stop. I would not prevent myself from doing that. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe if you can um, talk a little bit about um, your professional work Um so what kind of um, organizations might be interested in hiring you? What are the topics that you are talking about uh, where you can educate people? Um, what are your focus areas that you, that you talk about? 
some of the professional work that I've been doing is um, developing my not only speaking, but also how it can work in the corporate setting. Mm-hmm. And I've been working on a couple topics like adversity management, mm-hmm. um, commitment, uh, and I talk about um, different uh, values as well as um, empowering diversity in the workplace. So I talk about those different challenges and um, I also talk about the importance of a- achieving the impossible mm-hmm. when it comes to our, our daily lives and what we want to achieve. And I have I've been doing some workshops as well. And some of those workshops are innovation workshops on how to develop different skills to addressing a challenge. I have different tools and techniques for how a challenge can be taken and broken down from the intimidating mm-hmm. um, image that we have of something and how we can break it down and make it into a workable challenge. Okay. Okay. So, so, um, could you just briefly outline like what would be the steps if you have a challenge that seems overbearing? How do you tackle those challenges? How do you approach those challenges? And what are, um, some steps that you might, might take? Okay. I just think of it, um, with the word think, mm-hmm. T H I N K. And the first is to tear up the challenge, mm-hmm. heighten awareness. Mm-hmm. Insist on asking the question, how, instead of the question, can. Mm-hmm. Non-stop, mm-hmm. re-evaluation, repurposing, or reinventing. Mm-hmm. And K is for kick the habit of excuses. Okay, that's a great one. That's a great one. Okay. And um, so anyone who's interested uh, can also go to your website, jessicacox.com, and uh, find out more about that and get in touch with you. Yes. Okay, that's that's great. Um, yeah, what's what, what was your greatest accomplishment? Would you say so far? My greatest accomplishment, as far as what people may know me for, is is the flying an airplane with my feet. Mm-hmm. For me, emotionally, one of my greatest accomplishments is the ability to be confident in the person I am and my difference on a daily basis to be able to embrace my difference. And that journey of confidence took many, many years. Mm. And flying has been a wonderful physical challenge for me and took many years as well. Mm. Um, But for me, I always say it's that confidence of being proud of the difference that is my greatest achievement. Certainly is, certainly is. And, and the flying, um, opportunity, um, how did you, because I, I would assume for most people with any kind of challenge, they would not have flying on top of their, uh, list. So how, how did you get started with that? What, um, you talk a little bit about that in your book, but maybe you can, uh, talk a little bit about it. For anyone who is interested in flying, it starts with a discovery flight mm-hmm. and, And at least in the United States, if you go to any airport that is around uh, here, they have a discovery flight. You just go to a flight school and ask for a flight. It'll give you a taste of what it's like to be up in the air. Um, I don't know what it's like over there in in Europe, but maybe they have discovery flights as well. Mm -hmm. But um, it'd be great just to go to show up at an airport and find out more information first Mm -hmm. and decide if it's it's the hobby for you, pursuing flying. 
And um, how did instructors react and how did the person who did your um, license react? Because you wrote, you wrote in your book, you were not, uh, you were not given any um, bonus points for, for uh, your, your disadvantage. You had to do the same um, test. You had the same strict regulations that you needed to pass. Um, so how did people react in the first place? Did anyone say, oh, no, this, this, we, can, we can't do that? Yeah. <laughs> well, when I was first um, driving as a teenager, I knew that there may be some challenges with convincing an examiner that I could be a licensed driver. Mm -hmm. But it turns out I passed the test, the first test with flying colors. But mm -hmm. then I received a letter shortly after that said my license had been suspended Oh, okay. and I couldn't figure out why I didn't do anything wrong, but I found out a woman saw that I was driving without special equipment on my car, special modifications. <laughs> and she felt it wasn't safe for me to drive without a specially modified car. And, um, I had to get my car modified. I had to have my car put, um, basically brought into a shop and put some special equipment on. Mm -hmm. And then I took another test a month later with a different examiner. Mm -hmm. And the examiner saw that I drove fine with the modifications on the car, but I asked if I could take them off so yep. that I had the flexibility of driving a normal car. Yep. And he said, sure, that'd be fine. And so we took those little modifications off and he saw that I drove just fine without the modifications. Mm -hmm. So he gave me that uh, license back without the need to have my special equipment or a special car. Okay. That's great. Okay. And um, for the flight license, um, what did the person say um, <laughs> who, who took the license when they first saw you? Was it, was there any, Uh, negative reaction or what is surprised or, or, um, were there any roadblocks in your way? Well, when it came to flying, there were still doubts, mm -hmm. but surprisingly the aviation community is a very supportive community. Mm -hmm. And if you're someone who says, I want to become a pilot, mm -hmm. the other, the other pilots will rally behind you to help support your goal. Yeah. It's amazing family of pilots and they're very encouraging. So surprisingly, I was encouraged and it turns out that they were encouraging of my wanting to fly. And they said, you know, the examiner said, if you can fly an airplane with your nose, then you can fly an airplane. If you can show me how you can safely fly an airplane with your feet and do everything I ask of you, uh -huh. then I see no reason why you should not be a certified pilot. Okay. And, you and I showed him everything you wanted. You passed and I passed the test and he gave me the certificate. Okay. Wow. That's, that's, that's really amazing. It's really an amazing feat. How, how often do you fly? How often do you uh, go and make a little trip? I actually don't fly as often as I should because I travel commercially mm. as a, as a business speaker. Mm. And, um, so I'm always, um, leaving home and as a pilot, you have to at least fly once a month. Mm -hmm. So I don't get to fly as much as I would like to, and I need to um, practice more. When the weather starts to cool off here in Arizona, mm -hmm. I think I'll probably um, spend some more time getting more hours in. Ah, okay, okay. It's yeah. I mean, it's should should be amazing to to be able to fly anytime you want. That's that's really great. So, and you mentioned that commercial flights initially, um, you didn't even like to fly in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So when you, when you 
you hated commercial flying and then you still became a pilot. I know it sounds strange that I didn't like going up on commercial flights, but I still became a pilot because being in this small airplane, when you have the controls in front of you, mm. is a totally different experience than flying as a passenger. And I was able to overcome the fear of flying um, just by understanding what aviation is about, understanding how an airplane can fly, mm -hmm. understanding the aerodynamics. And if there's something you're afraid of, sometimes it's linked to the fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And when you can further study something that you might be hesitant to do and you learn how it is that it's possible or learn all about it, mm -hmm. it will help you overcome your fear. So once again, if you are afraid of something, you need to confront your fears and run away from it mm -hmm. um, and not shy away so that you can understand what it's about and really see that's probably not as, as bad as you think. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Um, how would you summarize your life? How would you summarize your life purpose? To summarize my life purpose, that would be difficult because it's always ever-changing, evolving, and I'm still young, so I still feel like there's a lot to be done. Mm -hmm. So I think it's an ever-changing process of um, helping shape the world in a, in a better way. So I, I can't nail it down in one word or one phrase right now because it's ever-changing. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Um, Jessica, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, okay. You've answered a lot of questions and it's been a great, great conversation. Um, there are two questions that I ask everyone that I'm talking to. So um, the first question is, uh, this is a series of interviews with extraordinary people from across the globe. And you certainly are uh, such an uh, extraordinary person. Um, who do you think are or who you think is an extraordinary person um, in this world that I might talk to next? There are so many extraordinary people in this world. And one of them, I think, would be W. Mitchell. Mm -hmm. Because as I mentioned in the interview earlier, he was my mentor. Mm -hmm. And he not only survived being burned all over his body from a, a motorcycle accident, Mm -hmm. But then later in life, as he was flying an airplane, he um, landed the airplane on the runway and ended up getting paralyzed. So he's not only suffered from a traumatic burn, uh, burning incident from a motorcycle accident, but he was also paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And he has this saying that is really moving. It, it's not what happens to you. It's what you do about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an incredible moving statement. And I think you should interview him next. Okay, I'll try to do that. Maybe you can make an introduction. It would be very interesting. And okay. my last question um, to you, so we can close the call and you can, uh, basically you can uh, close the call. Um, what's your core message, your main message you want to give to, to people who are watching this? I just want to say to everyone watching this to pursue what might seem impossible because you'd be surprised at how it is very possible. Achieve the impossible. And the next time you see someone who is different, whether it's because of a disability or for other, whatever reason it is, don't be afraid to say hello, smile, and acknowledge them 
and just treat them the way that you would want to treat them. You Treat them the way you would want to be treated. Okay. Jessica, I thank you very much for your time. It's been really a pleasure talking to you. You're a great inspiration and I hope we'll stay in touch. And if you're in Switzerland next time, then I definitely hope that we'll meet. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you for watching. And in a few seconds, you'll hear about the extraordinary person that I'm going to talk to in my next conversation. But before that, I need to ask you for your help. See, finding people who inspire and motivate you to make a change, that's what's most important to me. But to connect you with these amazing people and to bring you conversations that you will not find anywhere else, I need you to become a part of our journey. So please get involved and leave a comment below with your own questions and maybe even tell me who I should talk to next. And if you know anyone who might like this conversation, then please share it because I'm sure that they will like it too and it will help to grow this channel and to make an impact together. And by the way, on my website, you will find all current and upcoming episodes, including show notes and transcripts, background info, books and websites of my guests, podcast links, and much more. And once you become an email subscriber, there is always some exclusive content. So don't forget to sign up and I'll see you in the next conversation. In the next episode, Rob talks to Jamie Poole. This Australian-born Londoner seems like an ordinary 30-year-old man who works as a creative technologist for a London-based marketing agency. But Jamie has an extraordinary story to share. Jamie has died, not once, but an astonishing nine times in the past ten years, due to a rare heart condition that can make his heart stop at any moment. He and Rob talk about what dying feels like and the strange experiences he has after his heart stops in his chest, his view on religion and the afterlife, how he plans a future that could end any moment, and much more. Join the conversation now.